Hi everyone and welcome back to the Streaming Science Podcast. Streaming Science is a student-driven effort to connect you with scientists and science topics for ultimately increasing our understanding of how science impacts our everyday lives. I'm Coley Hinkson, a student at UF majoring in Agricultural Education and Communications, specializing in Leadership Development. And I'm going to be the host for this episode. You've tuned in to our H2NO series. In each track, you'll learn more about the water around us, from the faucet in our kitchen, to the water running through our cities, to the streams, lakes, and oceans, and everything in between. Water has this powerful ability to connect every living thing, plants, animals, people, agriculture, and natural resources. In this podcast interview, I talked to Stephen Homan, a master's student who's studying stormwater ponds. If you don't know what stormwater ponds are or why we should be studying them, then I'm glad you joined us. Keep listening to learn more about what Steve Homan H2 knows. My name is Stephen Homan. I am a second year master's student in the Soil and Water Science Department in the Urban Stream Ecology Lab that is run by AJ Reisinger. And specifically, I'm looking at the nutrient cycling in uh, stormwater ponds and urban aquatic systems. So most of my research focuses on nitrogen cycling and how to improve the kind of the ecosystem or what drive or and what drives the ecosystem um, in the stormwater pond systems to improve uh, nitrogen removal, nitrogen cycling, and specifically denitrification. And what denitrification is, it is the conversion of Nitrate, which is commonly found in fertilizers and is a very important nutrient for algal and vegetative growth. Um, so it turns that compound into nitrogen gas. And that's a, pro- that's a, that's a process that's done by microbes, in this, mostly in the sediment. And why this is so important is that, like I said earlier, this represents permanent removal of nitrogen from the water, from the water column and from these systems. So if we can figure out what drives this process, and what, what kind of environment, you know, like when it comes to the soil, vegetation, how long does soil have to be like inundated and lacking oxygen. If we can figure out kind of what, like what that sweet spot is for these like bacteria to remove nitrogen, then we can design, better design these stormwater pond systems and other urban aquatic systems to naturally remove nitrogen from urban stormwater runoff and urban runoff before that gets into natural waterways. And kind of just like the bigger picture of why that's important is that a lot of, um, you know, urban runoff is a pretty big source of nutrients and fertilizers into natural aquatic systems. And these nutrients can, uh, can, you know, can help in the, per- in the, pro- the, pro- the proliferation of algae and algal blooms and uh, cause eutrophic conditions that could eventually lead to dead zones. So if we can help, if we can uh, kind of like, so come back, if we kind of figure out how to remove nitrogen um, in these ponds before it, before the water goes into these natural waterways, and then we can help with, we can help improve like water quality of natural systems. Okay, excellent. How did you get started with all this? When I was an undergrad, I worked in a, uh, urban stream restoration lab at the University of Maryland. There I was working with phosphorus more than nitrogen, but I've always kind of like just in my studies, like as an undergrad, I've always been really interested in like nitrogen cycling and biogeochemistry. So when I told like the PI of that lab in Maryland that I was looking for an advisor for grad school, 
he said that he'd been working for someone who just moved to the University of Florida. And he put me and my advisor, AJ Reisinger, together. And from there, kind of the rest is history. So I've always wanted to work in like urban systems because I really think that the, the human component is important to kind of environmental conservation and, and sustainability, but it's even more important in you know, the urban systems because everything is tied in. You know, when you're in a city or in a town like Gainesville, everything is tied into the human aspect of it. And so I really enjoy working with people. Um, I really enjoy uh, education and outreach for, you know, improving the environment, especially with water quality and water resources. And this is kind of one of the best places to do it is an urban system. So, and the example of that, you know, is that, so I do my research in stormwater ponds and like, I'll go out and be collecting samples from inside the pond and people are always coming up, you know, like, Hey, you know, why the hell do you have this boat out in this pond? Or why are you, you know, like just deep waders in here? And, you know, I always take the opportunity to walk out and explain to them, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing it and why it's important. And you'd be surprised with how many times I've gone to conversations that last like an hour uh, just by, you know, them asking that question of what are you doing in there? And so I think it's a really cool opportunity to kind of educate public and to what I have seen, most people are incredibly enthusiastic about it. That's really incredible. People care about their stormwater ponds more than you'd ever think. You mentioned uh, using a boat and some waders, but is there any sort of other equipment that you use? It kind of depends on what you're looking at. And so like, I, I, I did two projects. And in the first project, we would uh, collect sediment cores. So it's about a 10 centimeter uh, like clear PVC tube sediment core. I wish I was, if I was in the office, I could show it to you. That you put on the end of this, basically this giant PVC pole. And you jam that into the ground to collect uh, a, a sediment profile of the pond. Because a lot of where this denitrification is happening is in the sediment and right at that interface between the water column and, uh, you know, the sediment bottom. Mm -hmm. Right there in like the first couple of millimeters. And so by us taking the sediment core, what we can do is bring that to the lab and run, exper run an experiment called the flow-through incubation. Or basically running site water through this through this column of set like you know in, into this into the sediment core right over the sediment interface and then on the other side we're collecting the water that that's running right over that you know it's running right over right over the sediment water interface and what we can look at is gas exchange and nutrient exchange um, between the water column and the sediment by you know taking a couple water samples and running them on certain laboratory instruments. And then with, by doing some calculations, we can see, okay, is, you know, is nitrogen or phosphorus going into the water column or out of the water column? And if it's going into the water column, or sorry, if it's going out of the water column, then you know it's being taken up by something. And then another thing we can look at is with uh, nitrogen gas, because this whole process of denitrification, uh, it releases nitrogen gas. So if we see more nitrogen gas in the water column, then we know that denitrification is occurring. So that's one way that we do it. Um, is kind of just getting, you know, getting in there, collecting these cores and uh, running this, in this, this flow through incubation that lasts a couple of days, Const constantly going for a couple of days. And that's kind of a very more kind of intensive, like labor intensive um, way to do it. But you get all that really cool data from it. Uh, there's, another, there's another way to do it just to look at water quality is that like we can go into a pond depending on, the pond and how deep it is and stuff like that, waiting about chest deep. And you can water samples right off the top and then use instrument, instrumentation 
to look for like nitrogen concentrations and phosphorus concentrations. And that gives you a good like snapshot of, all right, what's the water quality like, you know, in this pond at this time. Uh, we can also look at other things like using something that's called a pro DSS. It's basically this sensor that, or like this kind of sensor housing that has, that can look at a bunch of different uh, physical conditions in the water, like dissolved oxygen. Um, you know, that's important not only for, uh, you know, most, most life needs oxygen. So if you have a high dissolved oxygen concentration in the water, it can support a lot of life. But it, you know, at certain points, like in these stormwater ponds or in the Chesapeake Bay or in like the, the, the Louisiana Delta, if you get hypoxia, then, you know, you get these dead zones where nothing can live. So this, so this instrument lets us look at dissolved oxygen. It lets us look at uh, pH, temperature, a whole bunch of other kind of just basic parameters that we use in, you know, with this water quality data to kind of give us, all right, what's the overall health of this water in a stormwater pond? What's the overall kind of health of this system? With this research that you're conducting, are you looking to answer some big question or are you just simply observing natural ramifications of these ponds? Oh, it's all applied. I'm a, very, I'm a big uh, proponent of applied science and the, like, the basic research stuff is really important, but in my kind of philosophy is that we have problems now that we can solve now with science. And so all of this work, it's applied work. It's funded through a grant through Alachua County and they'll be getting the results of this, of this research when I'm done with it and they'll be getting kind of recommendations from us, but it's all kind of, it's, it's all applied work. It's all about, all right, what can, what are, you know, what do we see in our research that drives these natural nutrient removal processes? And then how can we get that data to like, you know, the, the, the stormwater engineers, the stormwater pond managers, all of these other people who could actually use this data to improve this natural removal of nutrients. And so I've actually published, I've been an author of one kind of like extension document, one of like the, the three pillars of land-grant institutions that they need to make this, this uh, the research publicly available. And so they do it through these extension documents. So I've published one of those. Um, I've been a co-author in another, and I'll publish at least one more before I go. Just about getting this data to like, and it's like there's a huge database that UF runs that has all these documents, and uh, you'd be surprised actually how many people view. So my advisor has published a couple, and he's gotten like thousands of hits on some of his documents. So it's real. People do look at these, and like pond managers and people who are in that field do, and that's what it's all about: is getting the data out to them, and the like the research out to them. What if we were not researching any of this? You're talking about the managers and the engineers working on these. What is the worst possible thing that could happen without the proper management of these uh, stormwater ponds? Worst case scenario that you could significantly impact like all the, like all the streams in Gainesville, all like the canals, all of these drain into either like, well, eventually drain to the ocean, but they drain into like other streams before it gets to there. So let's say like we weren't looking to manage these ponds for like, nutrient removal or any of these other stuff, you could cause algal blooms that kill off that you know, biodiversity. You could have streams that don't have any fish in them. You could streams that have no life in them. You could have water that's just so that's that's so like impacted and polluted that you couldn't even walk, you couldn't like walk in it could be dangerous. Like your dog couldn't drink from it because it could be, you know, you could have levels of nitrogen that are so high that it's dangerous to, you know, to other living things, stuff like that. So you can see just a complete breakdown of aquatic systems after you know past the uh past kind of like 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 the urban the urban system 
And another thing is you also see just a bunch of just like hardy generalist species with it. So you can see a lot of just like um, homogenization, homogenization of, of just like water, natural waterways around Gainesville, for example, which would have, which has other significant environmental impacts beyond just the fact that, okay, instead of having 10 species here, we have two species. Like it completely changes food webs, completely changes how nutrients are cycled, completely changes how uh, the entire system just lives and reacts. So like it's, it's pretty important stuff. And um, especially nutrient loading from residential areas is one of the major uh, sources of nutrients in urban area systems. And that's kind of what I'm focused on. Okay, and, and that kind of segues into this next question, but like, what's the difference in studying uh, one of these man-made stormwater ponds as opposed to a natural uh, body of water? So I think when it comes down to like a methodology thing, like for example, these, like these ponds, like these stormwater ponds, they are still ponds. And so like, you know, the act, doing the actual research on a natural pond versus a, a stormwater pond, the methodologies are the same but you might just see differences in just in like the, in the environment itself. Like for example, urban systems get a lot more nutrient loading, heavy metal contamination, uh, pharmaceuticals, stuff like that in the runoff because every time it rains, everything that's on pavement, anything that's on impervious surfaces all gets put eventually into a storm drain into some of these ponds. Whereas in, you know, like let's say like in a natural forest or a swamp, you get a lot more drainage through the soil and a lot slower movement into the, into this pond. However, as it drains through, as this water drains through the soil, you have all the microorganisms and all the other organs that can act on that water, taking out nutrients, putting in nutrients, stuff like that before it gets into this pond. Whereas, so it's a lot longer time for that precipitation or that rain event to get that water into the pond. And it has been just changed dramatically. Whereas like on an urban system, you, you get everything that's, that's the water that runs off of like pavement and streets will pick up everything and that gets immediately just, you know, funneled into these ponds. So you only really have that time for all these biogeochemical process, biogeochemical process to happen while it's in the pond before then it gets drained up, before it drains out through the water, through like the sediment, or it gets pushed out through a uh, outflow structure into either like the next pond or into a natural waterway. So the methodologies are the same, but the way the systems act are going to be completely different. And there's research, so there's, and there's research in both that are really important. A lot of this stuff that's, that's happening in ponds, that I'm doing in ponds, has been in natural ponds. It's like kind of urban, urban uh, research and urban ecology is a field that's kind of just starting now and starting to get a lot of traction. You mentioned that you, you know, sometimes run into people while, uh, you know, conducting the research and you have these one hour conversations with them sometimes. What are some tips that you would normally give the, these people to lessen their impact on these ponds? Yeah, so I think that's a good question. I think there's a couple of ones that are, that are really good because, and just kind of, I have, you know, I've, I've thought of come this analogy where, kind of comparing kind of stormwater management systems and stormwater ponds to soccer. Whereas like in soccer, you have, you have like one goalie and 10 people on the field, right? And the job mm -hmm. of those 10 people on the field is to make sure the ball doesn't get into the goal. But if, you know, if the ball ever gets there, it's like, you know, the goalie is that last line of defense to keep, you know, to keep a goal from being scored. And that's kind of how stormwater ponds are. Stormwater ponds are kind of that last thing that can remove nutrients and, and pollution before that water goes into natural waterways, natural streams, the swamp, paints, prairie, stuff like that. 
And so there's so much stuff that can be done upfield by people to protect the nutrients from getting to the pond. Because the nutrients should never, should like, in reality, should never really get to the pond. Because then, but if they do, the, the, you know, the pond should function in a way to remove that. And so a lot of the stuff that can be done to remove nutrients in stormwater should be done up, you know, like upstream from the actual stormwater management system. So a lot of things like, for example, uh, not putting down fertilizer when it's supposed to rain the next day because a lot of fertilizers have this nitrate and nitrate is very water soluble. So it can get picked up by water really easily. So if you put down this like, you know, nitrate fertilizer without having it time to be absorbed by the soil or be taken up by microorganisms, it's just gonna flush right off with runoff. So that's a big thing. Another thing is especially, in, it's more in Florida than anywhere else, but you don't really need you know, fertilizer in your, or phosphorus in your fertilizers because the soils in Florida are really rich with fertilizer. And so, like, you can tell people not to use, you know, fertilize, you know, uh, you know, fertilizer with phosphorus is another one. Um, another thing I just tell them to do is that just from like a, just like, like, like a water waste standpoint, like you don't need to, uh, irrigation and like sprinkler systems are a big waste of water, making sure that they're maintained well and not like spraying water onto the pavement is another one. And actually a big source of nutrients from in, in water in urban systems is pet waste. You know, so you know, picking up, you know, your dog's poop uh, when you go walking for it and make sure that's disposed in a proper way, like at the dump or something, or just not letting that run off into waterways is another big input. Has any results come from your research that you, you know, weren't expecting or, or has it all been pretty much uh, like how you thought it was going to turn out? <laughs> yeah, it's never, th I thought I was going to get nothing. I'm not going to lie. I didn't think I was going to get much interesting. Um, We've gotten some interest. We've gotten some interesting stuff actually from this research, and I think the big uh, kind of summary, the really cool fact of this research, is that these stormwater ponds, especially, have the really do have the ability to remove a lot, naturally remove a lot of nitrogen from the system when the nitrogen is available. So what we've seen with kind of my first project is that kind of that base flow conditions, kind of like baseline, like you know everyday conditions there really isn't a lot of nutrients in the water column because it's being taken up really quickly. And when that, and when, and since there is that nutrient limitation, some of these ponds can actually be sources of nitrogen by microorganisms taking nitrogen gas and converting it into nitrates. Another, I'm not, I don't really want to get into it unless you want to hear about it because it's kind of like, it's biogeochemistry is hard. And it's like, I'm still trying to figure out ways how to like explain it in a simple way, but it's just, it's just, you know, it's hard because there's words that you have to say and there's stuff that you can explain, they just can't. So some microorganisms can take, just like how some organisms can take nitrate, nitrate and nitrogen and turn that into nitrogen gas from moving it from the system. You have other organisms that can take nitrogen gas and turn it into nitrate to support like bodily, like, you know, their bodily functions, basically. And so when you have this lack of nitrate like available, then some of these microorganisms will actually take nitrogen gas and convert the nitrate to survive. And so we've seen under like regular, you know, everyday conditions, some of these ponds can actually be sources of nitrogen into the water column, which is bad. You know, we don't want that. We get enough nitrogen in there anyways. Uh, and these things should be removing it. Actually, by the state of Florida, all stormwater ponds are, are assumed to remove 80% of all nitrogen from the system before that water is put into the natural water. That doesn't happen, but that's the assumption. But so under these base flow conditions, they can be sources. But once you add that, let's say like we simulated a storm event 
You know, so we, we spiked all of our water with, nitro, with, with nitrogen. And what we saw was that there was an explosion of denitrification. There was a lot of nitrogen uptake and a lot of nitrogen removal from the system, up to 40%. But still not the 80% that the state of Florida assumes is happening. But, you know, going from being a source of nitrogen to 40% in about a day is pretty good. So what we've seen is that these, these stormwater ponds are basically like little bioreactors or where they are primed to remove nitrogen once that nitrogen becomes available. Have there been any memorable stories that you can think of that while you were out, uh, you know, conducting research, you know, something you would just kind of want to share real quick? Yeah, yeah. No, I have one good story. So once it was me and my undergrad, uh, we, were, we were going to sample a pond. And on the other side of the pond, we see like a six-foot gator. And we're just like, I look at her and I'm like, all right, here's what's going to happen, Sam. Like, I'm going to go in the water. You make sure that thing doesn't eat me. She's like, all right. So as soon as I get in, it like swims into the water and I'm just like uh, all right. I'm like keep an eye on that thing like you know usually me and her work together in the pond but I'm like this time I'm like no keep an eye on it so like I'm in the water and it's swimming on the other side not bothering anyone but at one point like I'm taking measurements and I need her to write something down on a piece of paper to like you know to record the data so none of us are looking at the gator at this point so but once I'm done uh you know reading off all the data I look up and this thing has crossed half the pond and is swimming towards me. And then all of a sudden it goes underwater. And I look at Sam and I'm like, get the out of here. And we just run. And that was the only time that I've ever felt like I've been on someone's menu. And let me tell you, man, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. That's one. And then I have one other one that's pretty funny. Where I was at a pond and like, you know, what happens, some people will come up and like talk to you. So some guy comes up, we start talking about the pond and what I'm doing and why I'm here. Then he goes, do you want to know how, how deep the pond is? I'm like, yeah, man, I want to know how deep it is. He goes, it's this high. It's, it's this deep. And I'm like, are you swimming in your stormwater pond, man? He's like, yeah, I'm swimming in it. I'm like, you putting your head underwater? He's like, nah, I ain't stupid. I'm like, all right, <laughs> just don't put your head underwater. I wouldn't advise swimming in it, but don't put your head underwater either. So, yeah, those are, those are my two best interactions in the field. I would like to thank Steve Homan for taking the time to do this interview with me. And I hope you learn more about storm water ponds and why they're so important for our ecosystem and for your neighborhood. Continue your journey through our H2NO series as we further explore the most essential nutrient we need as humans, water. Also, don't forget to follow Streaming Science on our website, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm your host, Coley Hinkson, and I want to thank you for listening. <laughs>